The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to the creek. My name is is Matt, and uh, I'm pastor here. Uh, Welcome, Adam, and I'm so glad you're home. Welcome home. And uh, Adam is the guy that makes everything on the podcast sound good. So we have a lot of people out there in podcast land, and Adam takes out my ums and uhs and and all the stupid things I say in between those and uh, just lets the gospel be clarified. So thank you, Adam. We're so glad. Adam's graduating in in, uh, May, and uh, God's got an incredible call in his life. So if you don't know Adam, take some time after this service just to get to know him. He's incredible. Incredible heart for God. Ryan is in Colorado. They're on a vacation, much needed rest. And uh, this is spring break. Um, Let me just clarify. Think of this like the beginning of of a college course today. Um, You are at the 1020 service for Marine Creek Church. Okay, is everybody good? If you didn't set your clock back, you might have been here a little early thinking, uh, like, why are they starting at nine o'clock so late? This is the time change that pastors dread. I actually was. Uh, thinking last night, wonder what we could do to get him to change that to a Friday night. Because think about it, you really would miss it less on a Friday night going into Saturday because you can sleep a little bit longer. But Sunday, man, that's just the devil. I mean, that's what I'm saying, <laughs> devil. Um, but uh, the last couple weeks, we've been uh, looking through the with the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts. We're going to continue that journey. Let me give you a couple things before we get into this. Uh, we've got a membership class next Sunday um, during the third service. That's our journey. Uh, and that starts a process. That starts uh, several classes and several steps for you to take uh, in the life of not just the creek. Uh, it's the life of a believer, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And so we want to help you understand what God has wired you for, what he's created you to do, and help bring those passions into the use of, of your giftings for the body. Um, what you do when you follow Jesus and you use those giftings uh, that the Holy Spirit has given you, you're not just helping the local church. You're not just helping the creek. You're helping the kingdom. And God has wired you and specifically made you. He knew you before uh, your mother and your father knew you, and he's given you a gift. Here's what I know, have seen, and believe about the Holy Spirit. For every one of us, he has given a gift. And that gift is to meet a need. So if we have gifts sitting, we have needs coming. Um, And more realistically, we have needs sitting and we need to get the gifts engaging. So uh, that's how that works. And we help you through that process. We want to step with you through that process to help you, to walk with you and to lead you so that you can be a stronger disciple and follower of Jesus. Our men's expedition is coming up April 12th and 11th. This is a men's camping trip. This is all man. I, I had to have Pastor Kevin cancel the Manny Petty session because I'm just like, that's not man. Um, but here, here's how a man, Manny and Petty, Manny, manicure? Is that how you say it? Manicure? Manicure and pedicure. Here's how that happens for a man. You use your fingernails to tear off your toenails, and then you use your teeth to bite off your toenails, okay? Or your fingernails. If you can bite off your toenails, you are more flexible than I, my friend. You use your teeth to bite off your fingernails. That's a manny man and petty, okay? Um, anyway, I don't know. Well, I, I can't recover from that. You see, Adam, there's an edit already. Adam's going to sit over there and go, ding, ding, ding. Anyway, men's coming up. That, that camping trip is coming up, so get signed up for that. It is going to be an incredible time. You will not want to miss it. So uh, last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul. Um, we're going to see today his fourth trial in a row. 
And uh, we've, we've seen him go through these trials. We've seen him make a defense for his faith, a defense for the gospel. Last week, we saw him make a gospel appeal. Uh, we finished the text last week where he made an appeal to Caesar, uh, which as we studied, it's really an appeal for the gospel because Jesus told Paul, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so also you will testify about me in Rome. Who's in Rome? Caesar. The appeal to Caesar is the appeal to Rome, and that is the gospel appeal. That was not the easy road to take. Uh, If you missed last week, you can go back and and hear that. Over the last couple weeks, I've been talking about testimony, our testimony, our story, what that means. I challenged you three weeks ago to write your story and gave you some, some, I guess, outline material. Then we've started to see that develop over the last couple of weeks. And today, if you haven't written it, we're actually going to, I mean, you're going to get the ingredients of our story and you're going to actually see it in action in our text today. Now, I love watching cooking shows. I don't know if you're with me on that. Don't take my man card because that's just the way I roll. I love cooking shows because what do cooking shows inspire you to do? Cook. Amen. Okay, I'm tired of people here in church and say, that's like a restaurant. I go there to get fed. Think of this like a grocery store. You come here to get the goodies and the vittles to go home and cook, right? And so your Christian life doesn't happen in this bubble called the creek in a daycare. Your Christian life, your following Jesus happens everywhere you go. And so today we're going to kind of do a little bit of a cooking class. Are you with me on it? Now, if I love TV, and we've got technological advancements, but... uh, We've got LCD, all kinds of HD things. There even is a, new, is a new TV that curves. Have you seen that? I mean, the technology is going crazy. If they create smell-o-vision, I'm in trouble, okay? <laughs> trouble. Uh, say it again, trouble. Um, so I've got my little pot here. And like in a cooking show, like I'm going to let that warm up, you know, and that's going, so that's on a medium-high heat. That's kind of rocking and rolling, getting the pan, all the molecules in the middle moving so we can heat up some food. And uh, so we're going to look through the ingredients of our testimony. Before we go, well, that's heating up. Okay, you can put some olive oil in there, you know, a couple good lugs of olive oil so that can warm up. It gets, it gets reacting and everything. While that's heating up, let me give you some foundational elements of our story, our testimony. Our testimony is just my story with Jesus. It's the story of my life, and it's the gospel story and where they collide, where they come together. The gospel is this. It's the power of God and the salvation It is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Through the crucifixion of his death, we can have freedom from sin. We can be forgiven from sin. Our dead life is made new. We're an old creation. He makes us new. That's the gospel. And so our story is where those collide. Our testimony is where those come together. It's not a big churchy word. Now, you don't want to sit down in front of somebody over coffee and go, let me testify to you. They're probably going to say, oh, look at the time, you know. It just, let me share my story. This is my story. And so that's our testimony. Second thing, our testimony will not save anyone. I, have not, I can't sit down and share with you the testimony of, of, of my story with Jesus. You can't do it either, and it saves someone. Here's what happens when we share our testimony. It helps us glorify God and clarify the gospel. Now, when I, when I think back, let me give you an illustration. When I think back, when I met Heather, and the first time I saw her, and I fell head over heels in love. I mean, it was love at first sight. I mean, butterflies here, angels singing here. 
Uh, it was just everything. My feet were this far off the ground. But I can tell you exactly the situation. I can do that with my story with Jesus. And here's how you glorify God by sharing that story. When I share it, I go back. I relive those emotions, those feelings. I remember what it was like when I saw her the first time. And everything in that comes flooding back. When we share our testimony, our story with Jesus, we remember where we were, all the emotions, the darkness, the pain, the struggle. It, it, might have not, it, it might not be that your life was terrible before Jesus. You might have been getting along just fine, but just missing Jesus. And you remember that feeling of, I'm missing something. And you go back and you glorify God because you relive that experience. Our testimony will not save anyone. It's the gospel. We're told in Romans that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life. He is God in the flesh, lived a sinless life, gave him himself on a cross, and he was resurrected on the third day. What's the good news in that? It's because that is God's only son. It is God incarnate. And through his crucifixion and resurrection, he defeated sin and death. And he offers that victory to us. That's the good news. That's the power to save. So we got to understand that. Um, your testimony is not about you. Okay? If you make your testimony all about, it, about you, it's not a testimony. It's just a story about you. Testimony. Your story with Jesus. Those coming together. And that's what we share. Okay, third thing. Listen to their story as much as you tell your own. I truly believe we can minister and witness and share the gospel just as much, if not more, with these, with our ears, as we do with our mouth. I tell you that in Scripture, the reason we teach verse by verse is context is key. Context in your conversation is key. Too many times we don't listen to the people we're sitting across. We've, got, we've already got our sales pitch for the gospel ironed out. We've perfected the, the script. We know we have the objectors where if they say, no, I go to this script. Have you ever tried to cancel a service? I tried to cancel a service. I'm not going to say the name because I don't want them to come back and get me. But I tried to cancel a service. I call up, yes, I'd like to cancel your service. Oh, sir, we're sorry to see you go. What if we did this? So I'm trying to cancel. They go down the script. I can tell she's reading. They can tell you're memorizing, you're quoting. She's like, if you will remain a customer with us for six more months, we will give you this rate. I do not want that rate. Well, in that case, sir, what we can do is this. We really don't want to lose you as a customer. And she goes, I'm thinking, how long do I, you're like breaking up with a girlfriend that won't let go. I mean, how long do we have to have this conversation? And I'm too scared to just hang up on her because then she might not cancel my service. I keep getting billed and I got to go through the, I got to start over. Okay. And I don't want to do that. Your context is the conversation you're in. Listen to what they're saying. And let me give you a tip. When you listen, it's not just you not talking. Too many people in conversations, they're not talking, but in here they're formulating what they're going to say next. Listen. Listen means you are hearing and perceiving what that person is saying to you. Engage in the context of the conversation. I wish I knew this earlier on as a Christian. Because I, I just had, this, I had the pitch, man. You know, it's like, what do I got to do to close this Jesus deal today? I can get you in a new life by the end of this conversation. What do we got to do? It's not a sales pitch. It's a conversation. So those are some ground rules. And today we're going to see Paul share his testimony. 
And we're going we're gonna to see Paul kind of do the cooking show for us so that we can take those ingredients, we can go back, we can mix all this up, and then what we end up doing, we go and we serve the world with the gospel. Because we're cooking up a gospel stew today, all right? And this is, I'm not a veggie guy, okay? This is beef stew, hearty beef. It's so chunky, you got to eat it with a fork, not a spoon, all right? I mean, this puts Denty Moore and all the things you see the NFL players eating to shame, okay? This is like the real deal. This is home cooking, okay? Not from a can. You can't give your testimony from a can. It's home cooking. Got it? Home cooking, right? That's where the heart is, what the love is, everything like that. So we got this going. So that's all, that's all working. And we're going to look at some of these ingredients. So while that's heating up, let's go to Acts chapter 25. If you don't have any, if you don't have a Bible, oh no, I'm dropping ingredients on the floor. Five second rule. Okay. This is church, like 10 seconds, right? Because it's holy ground. I'm just saying. Edit, Adam. It's nice having you here, Adam, because I can, he can, I can just, he just looks at me and he looks like, edit. Okay, Acts chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, we have some for you. If you don't own one, uh, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. If you want a new one, we have some new ones that we can give you. Um, so Acts chapter 25, I'm going to start verse uh, 13 to set some context here. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. Okay, let me set up the, the players that Paul's going to be speaking to today. You've got Festus. He replaced Felix. Uh, Felix is the one who imprisoned Paul. Remember last week, he got the minister and witness to Felix and Drusilla for two years. Uh, then Felix gets fired. He's replaced by Festus. He gets fired for being too violent um, from Nero. Um, so you've got Festus, who is the governor. You've got King Agrippa II. Now, the lineage on this guy is, 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 is a little tough. King Agrippa I, I told you his story last week because Drusilla is Felix's wife, is also related to King Agrippa II. King Agrippa's father, King Agrippa I, is the one who God struck down in Acts chapter, 9, Acts chapter 12 uh, with worms because he took the worship that was due to God and brought it on himself. The people were saying, this is the voice of a God, not a man. So King Agrippa is tied up in this little circle as well. So you've got King, he's king of the Jews, and so he is a Jew, and he understands the custom, so he's coming in. Um, then you have Bernice. Bernie. Um, that is, uh, you would think that is King Agrippa II's wife. It is not. Matter of fact, most of the people in the, in the first century thought that they were married. Here's where the banjos start playing. They were brother and sister. Um, the reason banjos have to play in this is because this gets all kind of crazy because uh, Bernice would go off and she would marry some guys. And not long after the marriage, uh, those guys would get offed. Um, they would die. They, you know, I don't know if insurance policy, if you got to wait till that kicks in or what, but she had husbands mysteriously dying. But every time they die, she came back to live with her brother. Um, and so that's why people thought they were married. One of the marriages that Bernice had later after this time uh, was to uh, a general in the Roman army named Titus. Titus was the conquering general of Jerusalem. He was the one that came into Jerusalem, destroyed it, destroyed the temple. And she was married to this cat. So here's what all this means. There's some messed up people, again, in front of Paul. Here's the reality. If the gospel doesn't work with messed up, 
difficult people, the gospel doesn't work at all. You need to understand that. If the gospel doesn't work with difficult people, it's not going to work at all. And so these are the, the characters in this story. Um, let's, let's go down to verse 23 here. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officials and the leading men of the city. This pomp, Luke uses a beautiful word there. The Greek word for that is fantasia. They come in with great fantasy. There's this expectation that, that there's something more than they're not. There's this big, I mean, I just think of pomp and circumstance. That's all I can think of when I read that. Like, maybe they come walking in single file, like, da, 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 da. You'll get that later. Um, that's the song they play at graduations. Anyway, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I've brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. So what happens is Paul makes his appeal to Caesar. Festus says, you're a Roman citizen. I have to grant that appeal, but I don't know what to send in this appeal. I don't know what charge to write. So he brings in King Agrippa, king of the Jews, to hear Paul so he can figure out what he's actually being charged with. Up to this point, they have not charged Paul with anything that sticks. It's just an accusation because they are persecuting Christ. They are persecuting Christianity. And so he says, I'm looking for something definite to write. So here's what happens. 26, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Okay, so now the stage comes to Paul. You've got Paul stepping up. The pot is heated up. The oil's in there. Everything's ready to go. We're ready to start cooking now. So the ingredients of a testimony, the very first thing, okay, this is like your foundation. There's always a foundational element that goes into your dish, right? Okay, this first one is a little bit of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. We've got to cook with respect, okay? You'll thank me for that later. Someday you'll think, man, my pastor taught me how to sing. (laughs) Not really. I taught you how to spell respect the way the Supremes would. Um, Anyway, uh, respect has to be respect, okay? That's got to be the foundation. Without respect, we lose a lot of voice. We lose a lot of ability to speak into people's life. Let's see how Paul stirs in this respect. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul is giving respect to the position. We know that King Agrippa, is, is, he's got a sordid life. I mean, he's got pride runs into the family. Paul is not giving him respect, not necessarily because he deserves it, but the position deserves it. And Paul is giving respect in this way. And here's where we are called to give respect in every conversation. Because the gospel is deserving of the respect that we give. 
Paul is giving respect to Agrippa. He's not building him up. Remember Paul's earlier trial before, uh, before Felix where the lawyer shows up and he's all oh, most excellent Felix and your providence and your peace that you give us in our kingdom. He's building him up. That's not respect. That's kissing up. Paul's giving him respect. And if we can't look at someone with respect, we've got to think of this. They are someone for whom Jesus died. So we respect the one who gave his life for this person. So respect is a key, key ingredient. Remember one verse we've gone back to over and over the last several weeks, 1 Peter 3.15, that we're always be ready to give an answer or a defense for the hope that we profess. And in doing this, we do so with gentleness and respect. We give respect, whether they deserve it or not. We're not going to lie about it, but we give respect because of the gospel. Okay, so let's, let's go on. So we've got respect, that's cooking, that's like the onions. You know, they're kind of simmering down and the flavor's moving through everything. That's, that's your base. You know, you kind of smell it, you're getting hungry. Mm. See, we don't have smell-o-vision here because I'd lose y'all. Y'all would be like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. You'd be in the coffee bar eating be like, I'll catch this on the podcast because it'll be edited by Adam. It'll sound much better. Next ingredient. Who I was before Jesus saved me. Okay, who I was before Jesus saved me. So we're going to put that in there. We're going to let that stir in. We're going to stir that around because the conversation starts with respect. And then we get to who were we before Jesus saved us. Uh, verse 4. The Jews all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. He's saying, I was religious just as you are religious. You understand the religion, King Agrippa. You also understand the controversies. I was religious just as you are. He's setting the ground. He's saying, this is, we're on the level playing field here. Before Jesus, I was a very religious person. Understand the difference here. We can be religious without Jesus. What Paul is saying, and now, verse 6, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? What he's saying is, I was religious just as you were, but it didn't get me to Jesus. The hope, everything, all the prophecies, everything that all 12 of our tribes have been so earnestly praying for and waiting for is the Messiah, and he's come. And, And religion didn't get me all the way. I was just like you. What's important about this is in saying who I was before Jesus saved me is he's sharing sin here. He's going to get into talking about it. He's setting the context of the conversation. He's in front of a bunch of religious people who think that following the rules is how we become holy. Uh, This is important in our area. This is important in our country. Because there's a lot of people who think because we are American, we are Christian, that's a lie. There are a lot of people, Texas is, I love Texas. Texas is my state. I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. But because I'm a Texan does not equal Christian. 
I, I like to look at DFW as the buckle of the Bible belt. I mean, like big old Texas belt buckle, and that's DFW. And that's the Bible belt that goes around the part of this nation that we think because we live here, we're a Christian. It, it, honestly, in the context of our society, most people know who Jesus is. But they've learned the religion of how to feel good for a while. And that religion will only take you so far. And what Paul's saying, it's that hope that brought me to Jesus. I'm not dogging religion. It has its place, but it's not going to get you all the way to where you need to go. You can't serve your way into the kingdom. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. You can't attend church enough to get enough check marks on church attendance for God to say, oh, well, you've done enough time in church. You can come into heaven. It is all Jesus. It is the hope that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he came out of that tomb victorious over sin and over death. He's setting a level playing field. Verse 9. I too was convinced that I, that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. This interesting here. Paul is bringing up sin. He's saying, I persecuted what I am now. I did everything to oppose Jesus in the name of religion. And I was sinning as a result of that. It's important. Paul's talking about sin here, but he's talking about his sin, not their sin. I mean, he probably could have gone, well, what about you, Bernice? Man, all the rumors with you and your brother... What about all the husbands that have died? Have you had any foul play in that? What about you, King Agrippa, the persecution that you're now bringing on me? He could have called their sin. He didn't. He said, this is my sin. When I talk about who I was before Jesus, it is my sin. I know that there are people in your life that you are praying for, and I am praying with you that have sin, and that sin is causing destruction. The, the, the effects of sin are death. And there is death surrounding. And, and I am praying with you. But I know so many of you so much want to get in front of them and call them out on their sin. That's going to get you nowhere. When I'm sharing my story, my testimony, when I talk about sin, it's not a big leap for them to realize they're sinners too. Most people know they're sinners. Remember, this is the Bible Belt. We live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. They know all too well about being a sinner. We need to get him to Jesus. We're not, a confession isn't confessing that I'm a sinner. It's confessing Jesus is Lord. Paul's dealing with his sin. Paul was connecting. It's interesting that Paul's using these sins of persecuting Christians and Jesus. I mean, he could have gone unto other sins. I mean, you know Paul had other sins. We all have sin. I mean, he could have been like, well... I was a Pharisee's kid, and I cussed one time. You've got to watch those Pharisee's kids, just like deacon's kids, man. 
I'm a deacon kid. And I got blamed for the demise of some of my pastor's kids' friends, you know. Um, He could have shared any sin that he could remember. But he was listening. He was present in the conversation, and the context said, you're persecuting me for following Christ. I was just like you. The sin of my life was murdering and overseeing and casting the vote to murder those who follow Jesus. He's putting the ground, the, the ground level here. Let me help you with this. Be honest about who you were before Jesus. Tell the truth about who you were before Jesus. Don't water it down. Well, I really wasn't that bad. Don't embellish it either. Well, I was terrible. You know, I man, I was a I was the leader of a cult, and I man, I don't embellish or water down. Okay, be honest about who you were before Christ. And here's the thing: we were all dead. We were all sinners. We were dead in our transgression. And before Christ, even the most righteous thing we could do was filthy rags. So don't embellish it. It's just, all right, man, here's who I was. This this was what my life was. And then you get to the next ingredient, which is how God saved me. So we add this in. This has been cooking a while. See, a stew takes a little bit of time. And we're bringing all those flavors out. Let it all just soak in. So how God saved me. This is verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. That's an incredible story of how Paul got saved. For some of you, it won't be as dramatic as that. For some of you, it may just be, it might might be a moment filled with tears and, and just all the realization of who Jesus is. For some of you, it may not be tears, it might not be blinding lights, it might not be falling to the ground, it might be in the quietness of a moment where it's just truthful and very matter of fact that Jesus is Lord of your life. You have confessed Him as Lord and it's a truth that He has saved you and that you are a new creation. And you're like, all right, I'm locked and loaded, let's go. Either way, we need to be able to tell that story. That's a good diagnostic tool. How did God save you? How did the gospel intersect with you? If it hasn't, then we need to address that. I mean, I, I, remember, I remember what was going on. I mean, the night that I truly got saved and man, confessed and believed Jesus is my Lord, I was in a car in a parking lot with two other friends, and they were praying for me. And I remember looking up during the prayer, and the windows were fogged, and thought, man, this isn't good. If somebody walks by, they're going to think we're making out in here. And there's three dudes in here. Because that's a natural assumption you make, right? If you walk by a car in a parking lot and the windows are fogged, somebody's getting saved, right? (laughs) How did Jesus save you? All right, now. What were the circumstances? What was going on? Where are you? Verse 16, I got to go on. The first service gave me much more of a hard time about that than you did, so thank you. I love you. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. So I've appointed you as a servant and a witness. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So God said, God called Paul to a purpose. We're not just saved, we're saved for a purpose. We're saved from something and we're saved to something. We're saved from death to life. We're saved from transgression into righteousness. We're saved from a life that is meaningless and chasing the wind, as Solomon says, to a life that is fulfilled by purpose given to us by God. And when we share this, when we reflect on this, God's purpose for your life is what he wants fulfilled in you. When you share this, don't give false promises about Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be dolled up in your sales pitch. You can't promise that you're not going to have sin again. If that's the case, I'm in trouble. You can't promise that you're going to be happy all the time. Well, Jesus said, if you give your life to me, you're going to be happy. No. He said, there's going to be joy. Now, joy is going to come in trials. Here's what Jesus promised Paul when he called him. Paul, I'm going to make you a servant and a witness, and I'm going to put you in situations that I have to rescue you. What's the promise that we can go here? God's presence. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The only promise that we have, because we'll have trials, we'll have ups, we'll have downs, we'll go through pain, we'll go through joys, we're going to go through all kinds of things in life, but the thing that we are promised is Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And there's a lot of people who your story can give that hope. That how God saved you brings them hope that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. The draw to Christianity is not the benefits. It's Jesus. We don't go to church for the attendance. It's Jesus. And that so transforms our life, which is our next ingredient. What is my life now? There should be a difference. Remember, these are ingredients if, if what your life is now is the same as what your life was before, then we are double stacking ingredients and it's going to have a funky flavor to this, this stew, right? The stew. What is my life now? Let's see how Paul talks about this. Verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, get this, then to those in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and to the Gentiles. I also preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. So what's happening here is Paul said, my life is different. What I was persecuting, I have now turned and I am preaching. So what I was preaching against, I'm now preaching for. God has so transformed my life that the things I hated are now the things I love. God has so transformed my life that my obedience is now focused in a completely different direction. That is what my life is now. It's not a list of, I don't do this anymore. He didn't go in, I don't persecute Christians, I don't oversee the deaths, I don't try to get them to blaspheme. You don't need to give a list of I don'ts. How about sharing what you do? I now go to those I persecuted and I preach repentance. 
There needs to be some don'ts that you don't do anymore in your new life with Christ, but there needs to be some new do's. Jesus is so transforming that it compels me to serve. It compels me to give. He compels me to lay down my life daily for the cause of the gospel. The world is so desperately wanting to see that there's still a cause out there for which someone will die. And the gospel, Paul says, the gospel is what I'm willing to lay down my life for. What is our life now? The most important ingredient here, Paul says, uh, also I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. We have to share the gospel. This, if we're going to make beef stew, this is the beef. This is the meat. Otherwise, it's just water and vegetables. And we've thrown a little bit of heat in there to try to make it taste good. We put the meat in there, that brings the heartiness. That brings everything into it. We have to share the gospel. It's just a conversation without it. And Paul says, I preach to them to repent and then show that new life proved out by their action. This is important. We try to manage our behavior. The religion says if you can manage your behavior, you can have enough willpower to be able to accomplish these things, and that's a lie. He says repent. New transformation, new heart pumps new life. That new life will have different behavior. Too many of us are chasing behavior and we're not dealing with the heart. Let's deal with the heart first. We have to share the gospel. Let's see how Paul shares the gospel. Verse 21. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That Christ would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. There's the gospel. Here's the final ingredient. Leave the results to God. I can't stress this enough. Too many of us are trying to cook up our testimony and leave this out. Leave the results to God. Let's see what happens. So Paul goes into it. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. So he's trying to raise the temperature by creating an argument. Let's see how Paul responds. I am not insane, most excellent Felix. There's the respect. Paul brings the temperature back down. I'm not insane, most excellent Felix. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Questions are important and sharing your story. That helps you listen, but it also helps you understand where they're at. So tell me, what do you really think about Jesus? Okay, you you claim to be an atheist. Did something happen? What triggered that? Ask questions. This question was beautiful to King Agrippa because he's king of the Jews. Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. If he says no, then he's in trouble with the Jews because the prophets say the Messiah is coming. If he says, yes, I believe the prophets, then Paul's like, well, then why don't you believe what the prophets have said? Very difficult question. Here's how Agrippa responds. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, 
I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. What he's saying is, can you rip it? It may not happen today. Whether it takes a short time or a long time. Whether we've got to have many conversations about this or not. I pray that you become a Christ follower, that you get saved, and you're just like me, except with bound by these chains. Do you really, when you sit down in front of someone, do you really want to see them saved, or do you want to share your testimony? Do you want to see what you are serving them, nurture them, life? Or do you just want to cook the stew? The king arose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with him. They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Was this a win for the gospel? I believe it was. We don't see that they got saved, but what happened? The gospel was clarified. God was glorified. When you share your testimony, the goal in everything is to love that person you're speaking to and make Jesus clear. Did Paul communicate love to them? Absolutely. Did he make Jesus clear? Absolutely. I consider that a win. So when you, when you cook this up, you're now, you've seen the show, you go home, you cook it up. And I want you then to serve it this week. And I want you to sit down with people and you love them, and you make Jesus clear, and you serve them the gospel. That's our story. That's the ingredients. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your, your testimony, your gospel, the power of God unto salvation, and we thank you that it so transforms our life. Father, would you help us this week, not just sit here and look at these ingredients and hear them and see Paul go through them, but Lord, help us to then begin to mix those into our life and then share that with the people around us. Give us the courage, as Paul had the courage, to stand before difficult people and speak the truth and the hope of the gospel. And Father, if there's anyone in this room that maybe maybe it's all too clear what their life was before you because it's still there. I pray that you give them the courage in this moment that that it might not be a blinding light on a road. It might not be an incredible story as Paul's, but it's just incredible because in this place, in this room in a daycare on a Sunday morning, you can transform death to life. Father, I pray that through your spirit working in them now, that they just say in the quietness of their moment, Jesus Come and be the Lord of my life. Save me. And let me become alive anew to your purpose. Lord, I pray that today is just the most incredible part of their testimony that their life walked into this room and intersected with your story today. Lord, I pray that you help us walk together with each other on what our life looks like after that moment. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we pray all this in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. God bless. 
Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.